hopefully you're looking for it. This morning we're going to be in Philemon. Now the last time we finished up with the book of Hebrews, um, it was a great book to teach, I really enjoyed it, a lot of good stuff in there. And this morning we're going to cover the first half of a two-part series. It's only one chapter, it's a small letter that the Apostle Paul writes to Philemon. So uh, it's going to be, we're going to do this Sunday and then next Sunday we're going to complete it. And then we're going to jump into the Gospel of Mark, which is the only Gospel that we haven't taught from the pulpit yet. It's a great portion of scripture. I can't wait to do it. But I would encourage you, Philemon really makes us think. There's a lot of hard questions in there. It, it deals with the sinful practice of slavery, which is a blemish on United States history. Uh, so, you know, Calvary Chapel pastors, we don't shy away from preaching the entire word of God. Even if there's questions that come up, we try to answer those questions. You know, we don't take a, a whole ministry of 10, 20 years and just preach light and airy stuff. Uh, there's some ministries that avoid half to three quarters of the Bible because they're afraid to teach it because it's difficult subject matter. So there's, we're going to talk about the sinful practice of slavery, um, how Christianity worked through that sinful practice and try to bring light into it and try to change it. So if you're not going to be here next Sunday, I would encourage you, for this book, you really got to get both messages. So if you're not here next Sunday, get it online. It's free. Download it. Check it out. And, and find this, this, this book or this letter to its conclusion. Now, Philemon is about a few people. I'm going to go from the least to the greatest. All right? Philemon is about Philemon. He's a slave owner. He also uh, leads a, 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 a church, a home church, a home group in his church. Excuse me. Mega churches and ornate buildings and churches like that didn't exist for a long time. So the church, the word ecclesia, in the Greek, just meant those called out, the assembly. So anywhere that people met and talked about the scripture or talked about the Lord, that was considered a church. So he was a slave owner, and he was the head of a church in Colossae. Uh, the other person it's about is Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. He ran away from Philemon, but before he did that, he stole from him. The third person that this is about is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul led both men to Christ at different times. And the fourth person that this book is about is Jesus Christ himself. And the only thing I can say about that is without him, there would be no happy ending to this story. All right? At the time, I have to put a lot of context into this because I think it's very important before we actually start to read the scripture. At the time in the Roman Empire, slavery was rampant and it was purely economic. There would be slaves from different ethnicities, different colors, black slaves, white slaves, brown slaves, tan slaves, and everybody in between. Just really depended on who the Romans were conquering at the time. As I was studying this, I found some things that I didn't know and points of interest to me. Slaves would be sold uh, at markets. And basically, you could command a higher price for a slave based on two criteria. Number one, does that person look like they can do a lot of work? Do they have a good physical, physical stature? It would command more money. There was also slaves who were highly educated, which commanded even more money at the, at the auction, at the market, because then you can purchase this person and use them to teach your children and to do other things that somebody with a degree could do. It's, it's weird, you know, it's this weird practice that took place. Now, what is this letter about? Well, to the person who doesn't know much about the Lord, it's about slavery. But as we'll see, it's about much more than that. 
As a matter of fact, in the Roman Empire, a few statistics, at one point, at one point, 50% of the nation was in slavery. That's astounding, if you think about it. At one point, the figure was 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Actually puts U.S. history to shame uh, in, in terms of uh, aggregate numbers. Now, sadly, slavery still exists today. I like a little interaction with people in the, in the, you know, in the church. Just by a show of hands, how many of you did not know that in 2013 and in other countries, slavery still exists? How many people did not know that fact? Wow. Well, good. You learned something this morning. I don't want to get into my personal opinion, but I think that the United Nations largely has turned a blind eye to it. I think that they've become a uh, governmental bureaucratic agency, and slavery should be the first thing on their list that they should eradicate. As a matter of fact, what's getting a lot of attention in the news is sex slavery. People who are in that practice for long enough, when they come out, they're really damaged when it comes to having normal interactions with other human beings. Um, Just as a side note, our church supports an organization called Envader, which uh, we're actually going to donate again to them in January, where they not only educate, hey, that's great, educating, everybody knows it exists. I want to know what you're going to do before I give you a dime to stop it. It's a great organization. They go undercover with microphones and miniature cameras. They gather information posing as Johns or, or buyers, and then they go to the federal authorities and basically strong arm them because some of them are corrupt and basically say, we got a lot of information. Maybe it's time to raid that place. And they free these girls. Some of them are boys too. And uh, they have to do a lot of, you know, a lot of work with them to get them so this, let's, let's make no bones about this. This is a sinful practice, right? The Bible created us equal and free. But since the beginning of mankind, when men learned how to dominate other men, uh, this sinful practice existed. A few other words on this is some erroneously believe that the Bible, because they don't, usually when people make these assertions, I say, have you read the scripture? No. Okay, we'll read it and come back and we'll talk. Really, because what are we talking about? It's okay, you're allowed to laugh. (laughs) But the point is that the Bible doesn't condone, support, or ignore slavery. And I believe by the time we're done with this series, you'll understand that. Let me give you a little bit more background. In United States history, okay, there were advocates for slaves. As a matter of fact, most of the Christians were abolitionists. Now, some of the the great preachers like Finney, Wilberforce, Spurgeon, and Wesley all spoke out against slavery, whether in Europe or the United States. As a matter of fact, half the country in the United States fought to free slaves. Perspective check. White men in the North fought white men in the South to free black men who were enslaved. So perspective check. The Roman Empire had no such advocates, okay? Not on a large scale anyway. You have to remember this. The the United States was largely a Christian nation, and the abolitionists pointed to the Bible and said, this is wrong, we have to stop this. So there was this groundswell movement to free the slaves. The Roman Empire, think about this, their pantheon of gods were cruel and heartless. Their false gods, you know, Zeus and all these different gods were, were mean. So their society reflected that pantheon and that belief system. So they didn't really care about owning another person. As a matter of fact, if they were to try to free the slaves, it would be a a bloodbath. How many of you have heard of Spartacus? Spartacus? That's right. Movies were made out of it. He was a great military leader. He led these rebellions 
to try to free the slaves. Well, prior to the first century, it was called the Servile Wars. I believe it went up to the Third Servile War. Uh, Spartacus and his men were completely decimated, and his men were crucified. Crucifixion was for slaves and non-Roman citizens, and they littered the highways with these soldiers that were crucified and tortured to death because they were captured. Obviously, they didn't win. So for the, for the scripture or the Bible writers to say, let's lead a rebellion, it would have caused, he couldn't, couldn't do it at the time. But I submit to you, by the second Sunday, we'll learn that Christianity, when it permeated the Roman Empire, changed the views about owning other people. As the, they went away from the pantheon of false gods to Jesus Christ, obviously things had started to change. Now, as a matter of fact, in the Roman Empire, many slaves turned to Christ because they didn't have anything in this world, right? They were, they were property. So they turned to Christ knowing that their treasures and their real great time in eternity would be in the afterlife. As a matter of fact, in India, I've talked to a lot of people of Indian ethnicity, the Dalits, who were allowed legally, almost slaves in a sense, legally able to be held down in Indian culture, the lowest of the five branches in the caste system, those, that group are the ones that are turning to Christ in the hundreds of thousands. There's a great missions field in India. So um, that's exciting to, to see. Just going to read two scriptures and then we'll, we'll move on here. Uh, Colossians 4.1, the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians. He said, Masters, give your servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Yes, this is what the culture teaches. Yes, this is what's legal. But let me tell you something. What you think you're doing behind closed doors, God sees it. In other words, treat these people like yourself. So Christianity tried to turn the tide on the, on the way people looked at slaves. Uh, 1 Corinthians seven twenty one through 24. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, he says this, When you were, were you called while a slave, do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. Context here. Um, whatever state you're in, you're married, you're single, you're slave, you're free, whatever you're in, you can still be used mightily by the Lord. And he says to the slaves that if you can, if you can become free, then do it. And that term in the Roman Empire was called manumission. You could set slaves free, but don't do it on a large scale. So there were ways that slaves could actually be free and become you know, regular people in society and their kids could be born free. So he says that. He says, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. We're free in Christ. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. A little perspective check. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. When was this written? A.D. 60 to 61. And this is pretty neat. A little bit of play on words here. The word Philemon means loving. Now, when we first are introduced to Philemon, especially through the background, we're like, how loving could this guy be? So he's, we, he's, we start off at a certain way, but you'll see that this person does become loving, and I'll tell you where tradition says that everything went after this letter was written. The word Onesimus means profitable or useful. In uh, Philemon's eyes and the eyes of society, he wasn't. He, he stole and he ran away. However, we're going to see that Onesimus, the slave, has so much character it's just amazing when you actually put yourself and inject yourself into the story. And he becomes very useful to the Apostle Paul 
when Paul leads him to Christ. The word Paul, the name Paul means little. Here you got a guy who, according to Corinthians, was nothing much to look at physically. And he was in a Roman prison at the time. But he wielded an incredible influence on both of these men for Jesus Christ. And the Christ in Philemon, well, it's all over this letter. Now, a little bit of chronology, because I like this stuff. I like to get all my pieces together before I start reading the letter. Basically, you have this house church in Colossae, which we now know as part of Turkey. And uh, Onesimus steals from Philemon, and he leaves. He goes west, ends up in Rome. Uh, the Apostle Paul is under a loose house arrest. This is his first Roman imprisonment. Uh, Onesimus, I believe by God's providence, and the Apostle Paul come together. We don't know how long it takes, but over a series of time, Paul leads him to Christ. They have a discussion, and Onesimus, again, this is where the character comes in. Instead of saying, no, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm going as far west as I can, he actually goes back to Philemon. But he doesn't go alone. The Apostle Paul sends with him Tychicus, you know, a little extra person there, another witness, another Christian. So Tychicus and Onesimus go back to Colossae. They go back to Philemon, carrying two things. Number one, the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon. I could picture Tychicus saying, before you say anything here, read Paul's letter and we'll have a discussion. <laughs> Again, I, I love to just kind of get myself into the into the the situation and the account and just kind of wonder how things kind of went down, so to speak. How does this affect us in 2013? Well, by the time we're done, we'll be, have looked at concepts such as salvation, prodigals, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and restoration, and equality. Now, I'm going to go through this and only use myself as an example, and you can use yourself as an example as well as I'm going through this, there is a parallel here to our lives. And it's been said by different Bible leaders that we are all God's anesimists. Think about that. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I can tell you that I was born into sin. I was born into the sin of slavery. From as soon as I came out of my mother's womb, maybe when I was in there, I'm not getting too doctrinal here, but the bottom line is, I was born into sin. You could ask my mother. She'll tell you the truth on that one. I was also made in God's image. And I took his, the physical body he gave me, the mind, the spirit, although it was not regenerated at the time, and I stole what he gave me. I'm in his image. I take it. I live a life that's unfruitful, that's depraved for about 24 to 25 years of my life. I ran away from God. I lived my self-directed life and I took what he had, I took what he gave me, and I beat feet. Well, one day, I run into the cross. I'm face-to-face I'm -face with Jesus Christ, my conversion experience, so to speak. And I become a Christian. I become a new person. He frees me. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not a slave to sin. And, you know, with my relationship with Christ, he tells me, Joe, for the last 24, 25 years, I paid for all those sins at the cross. You're free. I paid it. Like Paul says to Philemon, and we're going to get to that. Whatever he did, I'll pay for it. Put it on my account. Jesus Christ says, Joe, it's on my account 2,000 years ago at the cross. You're a free man. I come back to God, and it's a different relationship. It's a different relationship. Now it's, there's, there's actually a relationship. You see what I'm saying? So when you start looking at this account, 
you can see incredible parallels in the scripture. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, over your, or our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's an introduction. The Apostle Paul represents himself as a prisoner. Interesting wording that he uses. Not the typical word that we know for prisoner, a different Greek word. However, he had a loose house arrest. He was given a lot of freedoms. He was eventually going to be freed. He was a Roman citizen. So why would the Apostle Paul use that language? Well, number one, it's germane to the discussion about an actual slave, Onesimus, who illegally freed himself. A lot of play on words here, a lot of spiritual imagery that you've got to dig. So here's the irony. The Apostle Paul really is a free man, but he voluntarily bound himself to Christ. He bound himself, he shackled himself to the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of his life, uh, intending to serve him with everything he had. Two, from society's perspective, the Apostle Paul and Philemon were free men, and Onesimus was considered property. However, he brings God into the discussion. And in God's eyes, all men and women are created equal. We read that in the Declaration of Independence, don't we? Well, where do you think they got it from? They got it from the Scripture. We also know that Onesimus, although the Roman society looked at him as a slave, God saw him, his image was put into Onesimus. He was no less than anybody else. And three, Christ had to be the mooring point, the anchoring point of the discussion. In other words, the Apostle Paul is appealing to a higher court. The Romans had their courts. They had their supreme courts. However, the Apostle Paul is saying, I've got to go past that. When we have this discussion, I need to appeal to God's court. Why? Because Onesimus was guilty of the death penalty, crucifixion. If it's caught and, and they go to the authorities, he's done. He's toast. So the Apostle Paul is putting himself in a very tenuous legal situation, even by writing this letter. He could be considered an accomplice, right? And I'm going to say this to you. When we have difficult decisions with other believers, when we have hard things that we have to discuss, Christ and his word also have to be our mooring point. The more difficult the decision, the more we have to be praying, the more we have to use and bring God's principles into the discussion. Okay, Easy discussions, we can have discussions every day. Things that are more difficult, and this was the whole slavery debate in the United States. God was big time and his word were brought into the discussion. Talk to you about those famous preachers. Now, the Apostle Paul brings several names into the conversation as well. The first one is Philemon, beloved friend and fellow laborer. Now, Philemon, the slave owner, initially was very useful to the church. Right? He was very useful. The Apostle Paul had gotten close to him. And Philemon also may have held an ecclesiastical position, if not the pastor of the Colossian church. Two, Aphia and Archippus. Some people believe Aphia, well, they know that Aphia is a feminine word, that Aphia might have been Philemon's wife and Archippus might have been his son. He might have even had a position in this church. But we don't know for sure. And three, Timothy is brought into the discussion. And I believe that all these names are thrown around. Remember, when we talk to other believers, this comes right out of Matthew 18. You know, if you can't solve a squabble between you and another Christian, 
You know, bring witness into it. If not, bring the church into it. How, how severe is it? So the Apostle Paul is bringing witnesses. He's bringing um, other minds, other Christians into the debate. Let's have this discussion. And I've got to tell you, I like this policy. The policy is to what you would call bring things into the light. Now, I know this even as a church. You know, the church goes through its ups and downs. It goes through controversies. It goes through factions. It goes through different things. It's because it's filled with sinners. That's why it goes through these things. If we were all perfect, we'd never have any problem. We'd all be completely obedient to the word, and there'd never be an issue. But that's not the case. That's not reality. And I have to tell you, I like this practice of bringing things into the light. Those of you who know me know that I don't run away from controversy. I say, let's get all the parties together, and let's have a discussion. Now, if somebody comes to me about their sin, that's not what we're talking about. I'm, I'm a hopeless alcoholic. I'm a hopeless this. That's great. Between you and I, let's pray, get involved, you know, get a set of new friends. That's different. I'm talking about church controversies. You know, I find that gossips are like vampires. They like the dark. And if you ever watch those old vampire movies, when the light starts to shine, it burns their skin. Right? <laughs> And it's, listen, it's just the way my mind works. I thought about controversy. I thought about gossips. I thought about vampires. My attitude is, bring it. Let's get together. Let's bring it into the light. And gossips hate that. They want to keep it. Don't tell anybody. So I like the Apostle Paul's style. It's really, it's, it's biblical. Verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Second section is a prayer of thanksgiving for Philemon. Now, you might think that the Apostle Paul is using flattery, but he's not. He's being serious. He's being honest. He's being heartfelt. And the Apostle Paul was thankful for what Philemon had done thus far in the church. And probably having no doubt that whoever was in his household, he assumed that he treated well. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress a little bit again about the whole slavery issue. You're, you're, say you're born into it. Let's say you're born as a free person. And you, you know, you're, this is just what everybody's doing. It's just part of society. Just like some things in Western culture that we're born into and we just, you know, we, we just do it because everybody else does it. And then you have an epiphany at some point and say, you know what, this is wrong. I don't want to do this. This is against the word the more I get to know the word. So let's, let's digress for a moment. No doubt in the Roman Empire, and again, I read a lot about slavery in the Roman Empire. Uh, a lot of times they... Uh, benevolent people would buy whole families to keep them together. They knew that other slave owners were harsh, so they, they brought people together. They bought them, and they, and they let them live side by side as, as if they were brothers. Let's go to Nazi Germany in World War II. How many of you are familiar with Oskar Schindler, Schindler's List? A lot of you. I actually saw a copy of Schindler's List online, and I tell you, it almost knocked me off my chair. It's just so cold. They're, the people have numbers, and it says where they're from and their name and, and their status. You know, Oskar Schindler was a wealthy, wealthy businessman in Nazi Germany, millionaire. He used every last penny to buy Jews. So technically, in that culture, 
He was a slave owner. He owned 1,200 Jews. But you know why he bought them? He bought them to keep them out of the death camps. And Oscar Schindler died a penniless man. He died as broke as broke gets because he bought these people to protect them. So let's start putting things into in in perspective. In the United States, after the Emancipation Proclamation established by President Lincoln, some slaves chose to not take their freedom. They chose to stay on the plantations because there was also benevolent people who bought them as families, built homes for them, they got married, they raised their own families, and they lived side by side after the Civil War. You know, black families and white families. And they were like, they were like families. So th- these are hard things to discuss, and I, I made sure I really did my homework before I preached this from the pulpits. Again, it's not an easy topic to speak about. However, the Apostle Paul looked at Philemon, that he refreshed the saints emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and that he would share his faith with others, and he prayed that that would continue. Now, Philemon, Philemon, the Apostle Paul wanted to take his faith and his belief and his love to the next level. He wanted Philemon to free Onesimus. Philemon didn't have to. By law, he didn't have to. But we're going to get into the letter. I'm going to say this, that if you want to be... How many people raise your hand, and and a lot of times it's entrapment, it's just what I do. I make you raise your hand, and and then I say something. Okay, let's just... just The first thought that comes to your mind. How many people in this place want to be used by God? Raise your hand. Wow, it's a lot of people. This is awesome. Well, I got news for you. When you want to be used by God, you're not going to stay the same if you really want to be used by God. He's going to change you. He's going to stretch you. He's going to put you in the crucible. He's going to put you in the furnace. Trust me, you're not going to stay the same. I would like to say in my prayers to God, but it would be a waste of my breath and time, Lord, I think I'm in a good place. I like who I am. I'm the pastor of this church. Could you leave me alone? Can I have no no problems? No trials, no stretching. I've been through all that, Lord. The surgeries and the heartbreak. and We're good, Lord, me and you. (laughs) But But I haven't arrived. None of us have. And when you raise your hand and ask to be used by God, he's going to stretch you like taffy, like Gumby, okay? Philemon was going to be stretched. You're a loving guy. Saints love you. You're a leader of a house church. We've got to talk, Philemon. I really want to test to see if that name is emblematic of who you really are. Verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. He's an apostle. He had that authority. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Speaks of him as a son whom I have begotten as if he birthed him. I see the Apostle Paul as a passionate guy. I love his letters. While in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. Imagine Philemon reading that going, what? How could he be profitable to me? I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. 
that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord, in both ways. I'm actually not going to exegete this this morning. We're going to wait until next Sunday for that. But I want to make a few points before we close. Number one, I think you can see and make a good case for the parable of the unforgiving servant in this scripture in Matthew 18. Remember that parable? You know, the one servant owns, owes the master millions of dollars. And the master doesn't say, hey, I'll give you time to pay it off. Hey, I'll pay you a little extra. Hey, we'll fudge the books. The master says, forget about it. You don't owe me anything. I just completely wiped that debt free. And then that servant who just was forgiven goes to another servant who owes him, owes him about 300 bucks and strangles him and beats him and says, you better pay me every penny after he just was forgiven so much from his master. And that's a picture of grace. You know, Philemon is being implored to show grace, the grace that God showed you. And brothers and sisters, there's going to be times in our lives where we don't want to we want our rights. We, you, know, you owe me the money. You, you hurt my feelings. But we're to show grace and love. The second thing is, we can look at this and say, what's the problem, Philemon? Slavery's wrong. In the United States history, we got rid of slavery. Okay, now drop yourself into that culture, and let's see how you do. I'm very reticent to beat on the children of Israel, the Old Testament saints, you know, people in the New Testament because they're just people like us. We have different circumstances. Maybe they could look at our lives and say, what are you doing? That's an easy one. You know what I'm saying? So if Philemon freed all the slaves quickly and it got out and he was very vociferous about it in the community, there might have been a backlash and the other slave owners might have been even harsher with theirs. Right? Remember the Servile Wars. Remember Spartacus. Remember what, what might have happened after that in the Roman Empire. Um, probably made things a lot worse for the slaves. If Philemon procrastinated making the decision or bristled at the letter, guess what? It could have harmed his witness for Christ and destroyed the church in Colossae. Remember, here's the apostle. You, know, you have a relationship. He's telling you to free the slaves, and you're bristling at that, and you're saying, no, but he stole money. No, I don't care, and you rip up the letter. What is that going to do to the Colossian church. And I think that we can apply these principles to our lives as well. Hey, it's a great story, Pastor Joe. Slavery doesn't exist anymore in the United States. I'm going to go home now. We have to take everything that the scripture says and be able to apply it to our lives. So number one, I'm going to tell you this, that when you walk with the Lord and you don't walk in the world and you're a Christian, you are going to be put into impossible situations. Well, what does Jesus say? What's impossible with man is possible with God. He gives us the strength. He gives us the spirit. He gives us the counsel. You know, I found that when I was walking in the world for 24, 25 years, I could do whatever I want. If I was supposed to be somewhere, I could make up an excuse. I could lie. I could just go with what the world says. If I said I was going to give my alliance to somebody and I, I felt it could have hurt me, I just would have disappeared and I would have made up an excuse. That's what the world does. When I became a Christian, things changed. And that's going to be the same for you. And it's going to be amazing what you can allow the Lord to do through your life, the purpose that he gives you. Every single person in this room, I talked about the, the treasures of the spiritual gifts, was it last Sunday? Every single person 
You know, you become a believer. Just like you have natural abilities, maybe you're good at sports or you're good with accounting or whatever. When you're a believer, God hides those special gifts inside of you. It's like a treasure that you get to little by little see what's in there and see how he can use you to continue his purpose and his will. But things get more difficult. Things get more challenging. I have to tell you that maybe in a few years, when things work through the media and the justice system and the courts, I can talk more stories about what I've been through. As a police officer and a pastor, you could imagine the insane situations, compromising pickles that I've encountered. And uh, I just, when the situation is over, it's like the Lord was cradling me through it. He directed my mouth, he directed my hands, he directed my mind. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Again, we can have those discussions later on. But you will also be put in your impossible situations, and you have to rely on the Lord. You have to. You must. You can't do it with your own charisma, with your own strength, with your own abilities. But you will be in impossible situations, all the more to lean on the Lord. And two, before we close, the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. Jesus said, do unto others as you would want others to do unto you. Walk in another person's shoes. In every situation, whether we're reading the scripture or you're having an impasse in your life, think about what the other person's going through. If you're in a position of authority over them and power over them, think about how they would feel if the situations, or you would feel if the situations were reversed. So I believe before we're done with this letter between today and next Sunday, I believe that we may on the surface look at this as something that was written a long time ago in a decadent culture in a situation that doesn't apply to us. But by next Sunday, by the time we're done, I believe that this letter will minister to us in ways that we never imagined. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word as always. Lord, we thank you for the difficult things. Lord, we thank you for the, the ways that we could read something and it, it makes us ask a lot of questions, Lord. It makes us go to you. It makes us go to other portions of the scripture or ask someone. Lord, I just pray that we 